All right. Well, every now and then we will have some technical difficulties in our services, and this week was one of those. Uh, the podcast did not get recorded, and so I am sitting up here at Christian Heritage School waiting to teach music, uh, and I'm just going to teach through this so that you will have this, especially for those of you, of you who were not here. Um, we've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount in a teaching series called Climb. Uh, one of the things I want you to understand is that the Sermon on the Mount can be considered a transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, especially the Beatitudes. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but the very last word of the last sentence of the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament is the word cursed. If you look at Malachi 4.6, the very last sentence of the last chapter of the Old Testament is the word cursed. But the first word of the first sentence of the first sermon recorded in the first book of the New Testament is the word blessed. And so you can see Jesus is transitioning the people from a state of being cursed to a state of being blessed because this is God's desire. You, you could use a lot of words to describe what God was after when sending his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on the cross as payment of our sins, for our sins. But one of the words that would be somewhere at the top of the list, if not number one, would be blessed. God wants his people to be blessed. This week we're on the eighth beatitude. Matthew 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Uh, one of the best ways to understand this part of Jesus' call to blessedness is to just break it down into three parts. And so if, uh, if the peacemakers are blessed, what is it that they are making? And, and the question is, is, what is peace? Most of us have a basic understanding of what peace is. I don't necessarily want to focus on the definition of peace yet. I'll give a definition here in a minute. But first I want to look at the origination of peace. When Paul writes his first letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 14, verse 33, he says that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. God is the author of peace. In other words, God is the God of peace. When you look at Isaiah 9, verse 6, this is what we call a messianic prophecy, a prophecy that points to either the person or the work of the Messiah. Uh, and since we know and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, what it says here is that the Messiah will be called Prince of Peace. So Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. God is the God of peace, the author of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Another thing to think about is that the Bible begins and ends with peace. Adam and Eve in the garden were at peace with God. They were also at peace with each other, but then they disobeyed God. They brought sin into the situation, and when they brought sin into the situation, they brought conflict. And let me just say this, anytime we bring sin into the situation, we instantly, automatically bring in conflict. There was no conflict until sin came in. <laughs> That's not to say that there's not going to be conflict and that all conflict is a result of sin, but you can bet that when sin is brought in, it will bring in conflict. So at the beginning of the Bible, you see peace, but also at the end of the Bible, because the Bible ends with a kingdom that is coming where peace rules. It says that the lion and the lamb will lie down together. If that's not a picture of peace, a lion laying down beside a lamb, 
rather than chomping it up and eating it. Something I heard and read this week is that there are 31,103 verses in the Bible. And that's an odd number. And so that means that there is a, there is a verse in the Bible that has 15,551 verses on one side of it and 15,551 verses on the other side of it. In other words, there's a middle verse of the Bible. And that verse is Isaiah 26, verse 3. And guess what it says? You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. It's amazing. God will keep in perfect peace. Why? Because that's his desire. Everyone who trusts in him, everyone whose thoughts are fixed upon God, he will keep in perfect peace. But listen, if God is the God of peace, and if Jesus is the Prince of peace, if God's plan revolves around peace, why don't we have more peace? Why do we not experience more peace? Uh, I read, and you guys have probably read this before too, or heard this quote, it's kind of more of a joke, Peace is that glorious moment in history when everyone stops fighting so that they can reload. <laughs> and if you think about it, whether it's world wars, whether it's family feuds, whether it's personal pain, why don't we have more peace? And there's probably all kinds of reasons, but I can think of two off the top of my head. One, the devil resists peace. With all of his might, he fights against Peace. He will do everything that he can to bring in confusion, to cause chaos. But another reason is that we simply reject peace. People will reject peace. We might say, well, how, do we, how can I possibly reject peace? Well, listen, when we start thinking that we can handle things on our own, when our ways are higher than God's ways rather than his ways being higher than our ways, we reject peace. We reject God and his way and his methods for doing things, and we reject peace peace. And let me say that again. If we reject God, we reject peace because peace comes from God. God is the only one that can bring peace. Think about that. Who are we? And what do we possess that we can bring peace into this war zone we live in called the world? Man can't produce peace. Peace only comes from God. History shows that. I read recently that out of 3,500 years of recorded history, and I'm talking about secular history, I guess if we included Bible history, we, we could you know, go back 6,000 years. But out of 3,500 years of secular recorded history, there have been 14,351 wars. That's a lot of wars. That's like four per year. And out of those... 14,351 wars, there have been 3.6 billion people that have died in those wars. I also read that there, were, there have been 8,000 peace treaties made. Well, guess how many of those peace treaties have been broken? <laughs> All of them. Every one of them. Why? Because man can't produce peace. Man cannot produce, you and I cannot produce Peace. You know, I think a very common definition of peace is the absence of conflict. But, but that doesn't really work, does it? Because if that were the definition of peace, if that were truly the definition of peace, then we would read that beatitude like this. Blessed are those who are free from conflict. 
for they will be called children of God. That's like saying that the children of God will never have conflict. That doesn't make any sense. That's impossible. Listen, and I heard this definition of peace recently, and I want to give it to you. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of righteousness. I want to say that again. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of righteousness. And the peace that we're talking about, that we're studying about, that we are hearing, reading, uh, believing Jesus to be talking about, is a peace that isn't the absence of conflict, but is the presence of righteousness. It just so happens that the same person who is called the Prince of Peace is also called the Righteous One. Isaiah 53, 11, Acts 3, 14, Acts 7, 52, Acts 22, 15, talking about Jesus, the Righteous One. And so if we were going to give a definition to, to peace, it's not the absence of conflict, it's the presence of righteousness. Peace is not the absence of something, but the presence of of someone. Talking about Jesus. Think about it. When Jesus is brought in, he brings peace. When the storms are chaotically raging all around you, get Jesus in the boat. Get him in the boat and watch what happens. Jesus is peace. Uh, You can mirror that and say peace is Jesus. Knowing him, trusting him, letting him lead. If, If there's an area in your life that you don't have peace, bring Jesus in. Bring in righteousness. The only way to have peace is to bring righteousness into your situation. In fact, and I'm going to say this, and this is going to sound harsh, but listen, you can expect to have war in any area where Jesus is not brought in. Whether that's your marriage, your family, your finances, you can expect to have war in that area. If Jesus is not brought into the boat and whatever it is, if you don't do your whatever the way God says, you will always have war in that area. That's because peace is the presence of righteousness. It's the presence of Jesus. So if that's what peace is, what is a peacemaker? Uh, unfortunately, I, I think that we've been misled to believe that peace equals passive. Peace be, means that you're passive. I don't know that I believe that entirely. You know, I believe a peacemaker isn't to be passive. I believe a peacemaker is to be active. The question is, active in what? Well, that's pretty simple based upon what we just defined peace as. A peacemaker is someone active in bringing Jesus into the situation, righteousness into the situation. A peacemaker is one who brings righteousness into the chaos. A peacemaker doesn't call truce. That's what man does. Man calls for a ceasefire, but not a child of God. A child of God is a peacemaker and will fight to bring righteousness into the situation. By the way, that's why we get persecuted. That's why believers get persecuted. And we're going to look at that next week. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Listen, I can't tell you how many times I will counsel with people who are in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a crazy time, chaotic, just a lack of peace. And after listening to them and discerning and encouraging and praying for them, I may bring up something that may point to 
something that doesn't quite look like Jesus, something that's less than righteous in their lives. And all of a sudden, that person or, the, or persons or couple will shut down. They'll turn off their listening ears. They'll go away unchanged. They will even say ugly things about me because of my counsel or the things that I brought up. <laughs> Remember what we said? We don't have peace because the devil resists it and we reject it. And those people will go away oftentimes saying ugly things, which is a mild form of persecution, and then reject the peace and go away unchanged. The, the chaos remains. The peace never came. That's not the kind of people that we want to be. We want to be people who are pursuing peace. James 3, verse 17 and 18 says this, But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving. I don't know if you can remember, but I've said that the Beatitudes are in somewhat of an order. There's kind of a progression to the Beatitudes, and we've talked a little bit about that. Here you can see a little bit of that progression. The, but the wisdom is, first of all, pure. Remember what we said? Blessed are the pure at heart. It is also peace-loving. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, gentle at times. Willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy. Remember, blessed are the merciful. They shall see God. And good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And then James three eighteen here, the next verse says... And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. That's saying that the only way to make peace is to do the things that will most likely bring righteousness into the situation. You know, most of us desire peace. That's that we, we love peace. We talk about wanting peace. I, I read this recently. Actually, I heard it um, from another pastor. He said, having peace is a desire, but making peace is a decision. That's so true. Because most of the time, we're trying to be peacekeepers. We're trying to be people that avoid conflict. We're, we're that person that will avoid someone in the grocery store so that we don't have to address the conflict, the offense, uh, the hurt, whatever it is. We're, we're, we're just trying to keep the peace by just not talking about it or talking to that person altogether. But that's not what Jesus is telling us we need to be. He's saying to be peacemakers, people who resolve conflict, not people who avoid conflict. You know, I think my prayer has always been that Soma Church will be made up of peacemakers. I've probably never used that term I've probably never prayed, Lord, let us be peacemakers. But I've prayed many times, Lord, I pray that conflict will always be resolved here at Soma Church, that people will have spiritual maturity to address issues, to go out of their way for um, bringing peace into situation. Because when people are active in bringing Jesus into their lives, peace, righteousness into their own lives and into our church, we'll actually be able to affect the city. And bring peace not only to the city, but also out to the nations. Proverbs 14.34 says that righteousness exalts a nation. Another way of saying that is righteousness brings peace to a nation. That's what we want to do. Uh, Isaiah 57.21 says that there is no peace for the wicked. You could say that the wicked, another word for saying that is non-righteous. There is no peace for the non-righteous. So how do you bring in and keep your life at peace? You have to bring in Jesus. 
you have to bring in righteousness. So who are the peacemakers then? If peacemakers are people who make peace, who are those people? Matthew 5, 9, again, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Why are people who make peace called sons of God? It's because making peace is a divine work. It's a work that only God can accomplish through his son, Jesus. To make peace means that a heart is focused on what Jesus was focused on, reconciliation, not retribution. You guys know what retribution is? Retribution is paybacks. That's revenge. That's not what Jesus was focused on. He was focused on reconciliation, making things right, making things new. In fact, Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17, it says, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's talking about us, believers, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Some of your versions say a new creation. And here it is. Listen, the old things passed away. Behold, there's that transitional word. Behold, look, new things have come. You know, we've talked about the way Jesus brings a greater level of grace to the law of Moses. He said, I didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. You know, how he's contrasted uh, committing murder with harboring anger in your heart. Um, committing adultery versus lusting with your eyes. We've talked about those things. We've also talked about how Jesus confronted that pharisaical form of religion that really came out of 400 years of God not speaking to the people of Israel and that time in between the prophet Malachi and John the Baptist because of a lack of hearing God, the people got antsy. They created this ugly man-made religion based upon ridiculous rules. That's why Jesus said, I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You will not see God. But listen, you also have to understand that during that same 400 years when God was silent, there were a lot of wars. There were like five bloody wars, literally for the city of Jerusalem. I mean, it was all about Jerusalem. And Israel, at the, at the time Jesus was teaching this, Israel was oppressed, probably more politically than physically, but still oppressed by the Romans. Jesus knew where these people were at in their hearts. By the way, he knows where we are in our hearts. For these people, the majority of Jesus' audience, they would have been bitter. Maybe they were angry. Some may have even literally been volatile people. And for them to hear, you will be blessed when you make peace. For them to hear Jesus say, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. And this was a new teaching and it went against everything they knew and understood. I mean, these people were like bred to want retribution, to want revenge, to want paybacks for the offenses committed against them. But Jesus was saying, listen, a child of God doesn't desire retribution. A son of God doesn't do paybacks. And Paul was saying the same things in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. That old desire of wanting retribution has passed away. Behold, I'm telling you a new thing. And Paul goes on to say that all of this is from God. 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of a child of God or the work or the pursuit of a child of God, someone that is a new creation with a new heart, is reconciliation. Listen, a heart that desires reconciliation will sow seeds of peace, hoping to reap a harvest of righteousness. I want to say that again. A heart that desires reconciliation will sow seeds of peace, hoping to reap a harvest of righteousness. Who are the peacemakers? The peacemakers are the children of God. It's not so much that if I will be a peacemaker, I will get to become a child of God. No, it's because I'm a child of God, because I am identifying myself with Christ, because I am an imitator of Christ, because I have the same heart for reconciliation, I am a peacemaker. That is who I am. Maybe before I was someone that was wanting retribution, but now I don't look for revenge. I don't look for paybacks. I look to reconcile because I am a child of God. I am a peacemaker. I want to end with a couple of scriptures here. Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, follow peace with all men. Some of your versions say, pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Now we've been talking about seeing the Lord. Who may ascend the holy hill of the Lord? Who may climb the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? It's another way of saying who will walk in blessing? Who will, who, will, who will walk in his presence? Who will walk in the favor of the Lord? It goes on to say he who has clean hands, he who has a pure heart and doesn't lift his soul up to idols, swear by what is false. You know, part of that is reconciliation, pursuing peace, following peace with all men so that we can um, walk in the favor of the Lord. The Lord does not promote revenge in our heart, but he does promote reconciliation. Now, you might be asking yourself, so if I can't reconcile with someone, that means that I won't have the favor of God? That means I won't be blessed by God? I won't be able to walk in his presence? Romans 12, verse 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. That means if you have the opportunity to sow peace and reap a harvest of righteousness, if you have the ability to go to a person who has offended you or that you have offended and ask for forgiveness or say, please, let's work this out. If you've done everything within your ability to bring peace into a situation, as far as it depends upon you, you've tried to be at peace. And that person may be out of the flesh. Maybe they're not a believer to begin with. The spirit is not working in their heart and in their life, and they reject that peace. I believe that you've done everything that you can do, and you will walk in God's favor. I believe that you will be someone that sees the Lord, that walks blessed. That's good news. You know, earlier I said that, that Jesus knew where those people were in their hearts that day that he was saying, blessed are the peacemakers. He knew what they needed to hear. He knew the transition that needed to be made from a revengeful, retribution-seeking people to a people who need to seek reconciliation. He knew what needed to be done in their heart to make that jump from cursed to blessed in every area, in every area of their life. And listen, he knows where we are in our hearts. He knows what areas have not 
uh, we have not brought Jesus into, the areas that are not full of peace, the areas that may still look like the cursed. Not that we are cursed because we have Jesus, we've been born again, but are there areas that seem to be still operating? It's like, man, that area doesn't look blessed to me. Bring Jesus into the boat. Bring righteousness. Sow seeds of peace so that you can reap the fruit of righteousness. That's God's desire. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. 